Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford lecturer, a writer and a broadcaster, and for the purposes of this podcast, I'm your chief investigator of images. Today is a particularly exciting podcast for me because I'm joined by, well, I suppose I could describe you as my my, my pub buddy. <laughs> Mark Canham, the composer, is, I'm fortunate enough to call a very dear friend and drinking buddy, um, and is going to bring a really unique insight today because we're talking particularly about music and particularly about Kandinsky. But tell the Arts Detective listeners what you do, Mark. Well, I'm a composer and I write music for film uh, mainly uh, and then self-released albums. And also I've just begun working with a fine artist doing interesting augmented reality pieces with uh, with the art with putting music in, into paintings which is a very interesting spin on what I do so in essence I'm a composer mm. I'm inspired by images uh, and I write music to those images and uh, that can come in many forms but at the moment film and art and actually the one you did the collaboration that you did recently it was for the it was a world war one it was a poppy theme wasn't it it, it, it was, was about it was to commemorate the song yeah so that launched last year uh, in london and since then the gallery has been touring uh, around the country uh, it's called the danger tree uh, by the artist scarlet raven and the process uh, is that she almost works in a kind of stop motion fashion where she will have a camera poised above her canvas and she paints in oils mainly, but with blue screen technology as well, or a kind of blue screen paint. Mm. Uh, and so for every movement of paint that she does, and she paints with her hands and with objects more than she paints with brushes, uh, she'll take a picture and she'll collage that with images from the First World War. And that will build up and up and up and up. Uh, and once we've reached about three and a half thousand, four thousand images, uh, we've kind of got enough to put together the, the the movies that when you go into the gallery and see the painting in front of you, the finished painting, there's actually been dozens of iterations of that painting before. And so you can kind of see the story behind the painting. Can't you, can't you hold up your phone or your iPad yeah. and you see the... <clears throat> 
creation to your music of that image that's in front of you. Totally. I mean, I can give you some images for your listeners. We'll do that. We'll put so, our link, so I'll put can... a link to it because I watched it and I was moved to tears. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, Mark. It's... And I'm not just saying that because we're friends. No. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And the relationship between music and art was so clear there. And it obviously has informed a lot of what you do when you compose the, the visual. It adds a whole dimension to it, I think. And, 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 and as you say, it is extremely powerful. It's uh, not an uplifting experience. They're very, they're, they're quite traumatic, some of them. Um, but yeah, by using this technology um, that you can get on your uh, iPads or phones called Blipper, mm. uh, you hold your device up to the paintings, and the painting comes to life in the real world to you. So, so, and 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 actually, we're playing with new ideas because the gallery is expanding, and because it's the the, the hundred years anniversary next year. Uh, there's really, really amazing things planned uh, with taking this whole concept on massively, uh, whereby the real world interacts even more with uh, the, the, the the augmented world, and and it and it's just a really powerful storytelling device, I find. Well, and, and and music is key. Oh, so yeah. well, like with all these things, where there's a creative process, sometimes you don't just want to see the finished piece, you want to see the creative process that's gone into it. And I love this idea. I mean, the thing is, it's so beautiful at all the different stages. That's why I love it so much, because you could stop it at any point and go, there, it's done, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that idea of the, kind of the idea that the artist has reached a, a finished point in their mind. Yeah. And then you can create the composition that also reaches a form of, of conclusion. Uh, but you, you work on film as well, don't you? And that, that must be a different exercise because you, you do you get sent the finished film and then you compose to it yeah yeah once 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 the film is pretty much finished and you cross your fingers and toes that they're not going to do any re-edits or anything like that because it could be a bit difficult to if 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 a, if, if a little bit of uh scene is cut out <laughs> sort of two-thirds from the end everything has to shuffle oh, no. around and, 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 and <laughs> where's it, my dramatic climax it, it, it is like someone hiding a piece of jigsaw puzzle for you for, for ages and it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite annoying but uh, yeah so so the, the process in film they send you what they call reels mm. uh, which can be sort of two reels three reels that make up the content of the film are they, as, as are many they big as five. metal things that you have to put on the <laughs> Well, that, that, that's exactly why they call them reels, because in the old days, they, they used to be reels. I still have visions of someone turning up at your door with big circular reels yeah, of yeah. film. I, I love the analogue world. I like to talk in, the, you know, yeah. in terms of the old school. And uh, yeah, so we get sent these reels and we chat with the director and we start pulling ideas together um, and talking about uh, what the scenes need. And I like to work with directors that aren't... Uh, too prescriptive and try and tell the audience what to feel too much. I like to help, you know, embellish what's there on the screen rather than be overly uh, diagnostic with what's on the screen. Uh, so, uh, and, and often we talk about colour. When well, we're, when, when this, we're, dis when this we're discussing, brings us round. This brings us round because I mean, you're involved in some really exciting. What was the big film that you did? The, um, uh, the disappearance of Alice Creed with Alice Eddie Marsan and Gemma Arterton. Yeah. Uh, directed by Jay Blakeson was uh, a real favourite of mine. I'm, yeah. really, I'm really, really proud of the work that was done on that one. Well, so. I'm very proud of you too. Thank You're you. doing some amazing things at the moment. He's been showing me some secret things that he's working on at the moment that we can't talk about, but they're super exciting. <laughs> uh, we are looking at an image in your studio, which I have to say is the coolest studio ever. One of the things I love about the way you write music, Mark, is it's all analogue, isn't it? I mean, you use organic, you use instruments. You yeah. don't do it all digitally. Even if you use bits and bops, they're all rooted in original well, instruments, aren't they? I, th I think 
from being for having composed now for a long time, one of the things that being a composer does, and I, when I speak to other composers in those rare occasions, I escape the studio <laughs> and speak to human beings. Uh, it, it, you you actually become less of a a good musician on that on your on your instrument. Uh-huh. So I, I I come from being a guitarist. But yeah, the I, lost member of radio. Yeah, yeah, about. the lost member of radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and and so as a result, I'm, I'm fascinated with sound and texture, yeah. and I, I think that's half of the reason why we're going to chat about Kandinsky specifically. Vega's giving you a heads up. I'm oh, to uh, listen. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm giving you a big build up, Mark. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and and by playing with sound and recording sound in odd ways and manipulating it through all the ways we can manipulate it nowadays with the with the really cool tools that we have available to us you can create never be heard, never before heard sounds oh, yeah. where whereas i love playing with violins and with cellos and playing with uh, and giving great musicians the music to play for that but there's a real fascination of mine as to sort of how do i get that violin sound to sound a little how bit more metal diff- and yeah. or and create create you can you can create a heck of a lot of emotion with with texture and we are somewhat trained in film especially uh to lean a lot on melody as mm. as as to tell us what to feel and i'm a believer that i think texture can be doubly as effective as that sometimes you know well this brings us on to the reason why i have selected you among these honored few to be my guest <sighs> today because <laughs> we are looking at kandinsky yellow red blue 1925 now that's lee kandinsky possibly one of my favourite artists ever, not just because of his art, it being so, well, really the birth of abstraction, really, mm. but also um, this this particular image hung on my bed when I was at university, so I've stared at it for many, many years. Um, and the reason I've asked you to come and talk about it is for this amazing reason that we discovered <laughs> when talking after some wine, wine yes. you <laughs> have synesthesia. I have I have synesthesia, yeah. So and explain to the listeners what that means. So this is where you can hear sound. Oh well, for me, uh, synesthesia comes in different forms, and there's a neurological form of it which has some. It's quite disturbing when you hear the effects of how, how that uh, is on people. But I have a, a, a form of synesthesia where I hear a sound, and for me, it's most vibrant with the piano specifically. It's when I first really noticed it uh where it can generate colors mm. uh so i think over the years and i think it actually leads into why i like texture as well as, as a tool that over the years i've kind of had it in my back pocket as a secret weapon whenever i've been <laughs> stuck on a scene okay well what what is the scene you know especially if you see a finished scene that's beautifully graded mm. and i can think of a few examples when working on film where that's happened where I can write in green. Oh my god! Or I can write in a in sort of orangey brown. Well, you shouted at me the other day at the car, didn't you? It's an orange brown piece of music. And, oh my god! Yeah, it, your mind fascinates me. But you get you get kind of used to dealing with it and working with it, and 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 and, and it's a real privilege to have it as, yeah. as 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 a thing to use, and and it's very emotively connected as well, so that you won't. If, if if I'm not in the mood, it's nowhere near as vibrant or obvious to, to draw upon. But yeah. whereas when you are tuned into it and it's happening, it's it's 
it kind of writes the music kind of writes itself. Oh my God. I mean, we've got so much to explore with this for the for the listeners. But um, the reason that we've chosen Kandinsky in particular is he is pro- probably the the artist most closely associated with synesthesia. He writes a lot. The other reason I love him is because not only is he an amazing artist, but he's also an art theorist. And he writes some incredible texts exploring the emergence of non-narrative art, but also the power of colour. And he has really, really clear delineations on what each colour, each shape Mm. in his works actually means. Um, He feels moods. and But you said this too. So I remember you telling me how you discovered you had it. Was, wasn't it a music lesson or something? And I, I was actually, uh, I was in my teens. And I, and, and I remember it could be very much a sexual awakening story, <laughs> yeah, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's it the smile I had on my face. <laughs> it was, and, 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 and a friend was giving me Reiki, which, which isn't... That's so, right, yeah. that's why I brought this under which, 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 which and, 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 and she wasn't, a, a professed Reiki expert, but she had been learning about it, and uh, she she was it just so happened to be an amazing pianist, like proper concert pianist, um, and and unfortunately she had a really bad RSI, and so it actually halted her career yeah. sadly. But um, she, I I I, I came around the house and uh, and and she said, oh, I've been studying Reiki, you know, do you fancy it? And I'm like, well. What's that then? Oh my god! And this is not the sort of experience I had when I was a teenager. Yeah, it still yeah. sounds very bohemian. So I was, I was lying down in her in in her living room, which had a, a baby grand piano in it, and uh, <laughs> as you do. she she, she <laughs> as I was having Reiki, she hit a couple of notes on the piano, and I said, "Oh, that's that's funny. That's really purple." Wow. And she went, "What about this?" And we went through notes, and it does change actually. It's yeah. not always the same notes. But uh, she, she said, I think you've got synesthesia. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I, I, I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, and uh, How old were you again? I must have been 16 or 17 oh. when, I, when I observed it acutely. But you'd see, you know, presumably, like, this had been in your life. You were yeah. aware it was happening. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think you realise that you're, something's happening emotionally. You're connecting at some point before that. Yeah. Uh, and there were moments where... Uh, music would be very vivid and you couldn't quite put your finger on it and but it, i'm sure we all feel that in a way i think it's actually because quite actually, common i mean i see it i see it with my kids that they will cry at certain chords and you know changes there's i've always felt that too you get that emotional moment where you just something happens but but never in color and so did you never think i'm sure you would that, have had it if you never if you never oh, I, th- I think uh i think you don't colouring... see it like puffs of color coming out of the notes or anything you just see it in your interior mind when i think back to that moment mm. when i when 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 she played the piano uh it almost was a puff of color that's what fascinates yeah, me that that the, yeah. it, it almost was and 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 you, when you're that tuned into it i think being in that state of mind anyway i was very relaxed mm. uh I, 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 <laughs> um i think being in that state of mind helped the process because i was emotionally in the right space cool. to, to observe it and i think when you watch powerful visuals, yeah, yeah, you can get yourself into that emotional state as well and tap into. I it. do. I, I mean, absolutely. I think you're totally right. So it was it was almost inevitable in a way that you were going to go up, end up writing yeah. in the way that you do. Yeah. You know, visuals and sound together, yeah. composed, and, and how I sound. I think I think my yeah. my, my music is quite textural. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as part of a jobbing composer, you have to use certain instruments because you're you're asked to by a director or a producer, you know, yeah. to try out things and those things can stick. But I think underlying 
all my music that I do, um, there, there, there is an element of this happening. Yeah. And, and okay, so you suggested Kandinsky when we talked about what we were going to look at. Um, in terms of, I mean, if when I first encountered the idea of synesthesia, it was Kandinsky that I looked at immediately because I feel um, he's so clear about what he's doing, mm. but he's also trying to work it out with a vocabulary that that is academic, that is scientific, that makes sense. So he talks a lot about shapes. And, and this one we're particularly looking at, yellow, red, blue. So it's massive for a start. It's two metres. Two, two metres wide, isn't it? Two metres yeah. wide, 120-ish high. It's huge. Is and this one that's over in New York? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, in terms of how this makes you feel, walk me through it. Walk me through the colours. Because, I mean, I can tell you what Kandinsky says afterwards, okay. but in terms of what you see and feel, what does this make you feel? I find it quite... I find it very dreamy, and I, I find it... It's almost like two paintings in one, this one, because on the left-hand side, you have what I think you you instinctively interpret as a face looking to the left of the picture. Do you know, my whole time when I had this on my wall, I see an upside down cat. Do you? <laughs> can you not see it? The whiskers, the two eyes. Oh, come on, we've both got cats. Can't you see it? There's whiskers coming out on that side, whiskers coming out on that side. Uh, two orangey ah, eyes uh -huh, uh, and a nose. Anyway, okay, that's okay. what I've always seen. But you're right, I think there's definitely, the composition has some suggestion of a face. A very ab <laughs> an abstract face, abstract or, face or cat. Cat or human. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the left-hand side of it. And then I've always sort of seen the right-hand side of it, which is where he overlaps a lot more colours and geometric shapes and squiggles, which he's obviously really well known for, and the grid pattern, which is a recurring theme in a lot of his paintings, mm. uh, as almost like the, the, the sort of the, the, the subconscious, the thought process going on behind the human being. I don't, uh, and what and, about the colours? What do they make you feel then? Well, he loved yellow. Yes, he, yellow's the key, isn't it? He, he loved yellow. And I think for a period of time, him and and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, him and Schoenberg talked a lot about sort of rule books of colour and sound. Yeah. And he used trumpets a lot. Exactly, for yellow. yes, yes. Uh, and, and trumpet, uh, and, and yellow is, is obviously a colour that we find as a happy colour and a chirpy colour, mm. um, whereas blue is one of the more thoughtful colours in his interpretation. Uh, and, and then brown is, like, because he uses ochre a lot and browns, they're the ones that kind of root us a little bit more with the earthliness, you know, what's happening on earth. Do you uh, feel that too when you compose? Do you think his parallels are yeah. equivalent? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I use, I think where he talks about yellow, I probably have orange in that spectrum yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think there's a very close similarity. And, and purple's just this mysterious colour which kind of transcends things. Really? Yeah. Purple's the one? Yeah, purple. Isn't that amazing? Because he talks about purple because you've obviously got that lovely swathe of purple. And I mean, what is so fascinating about this is it is the meeting of those three primary colours, the mm. red, the blue, the yellow. And, and you know, you've talked about this being a painting of two halves. I think you're absolutely right because on the one half, you've got a yellow composition. On the other, it's more blue. But there's this meeting of colours that creates these um, syntheses of feelings. Mm. So the red is sort of more impassioned. Well, I mean, these are all things we instinctively, intuitively know, but we don't understand necessarily the colour theory behind them. And then, and then the blue um, is the cool and the calm and the spectral, the the sort of the distant. He talks about things receding, 
and coming forward. So yellow comes out as at you as a colour. Yeah. Definitely. Whereas blue pulls away from you and sort of it's colder, it's it's pulling away. Do you it, feel that too? Well, yeah, because blue is kind of like the the the, the sky and the atmosphere exactly. and the distance. And so so it is it has this kind of more distant feel to it. It's mm. it's one it's one of those colours. And, and blue is a tricky colour to write in. Really? Yeah, yeah. Blue blue is a hard one. So it's not blue melancholia blue. No, it's, no. It's I, a... I I don't know. I definitely don't have blue down as a melancholic thing. It's a thoughtful wow. colour. Uh, so, yeah, because I suppose I suppose it's sort of celestial, transcendental, yeah. otherworldly, out of body. The and music of the weird. spheres, you know, the Renaissance. When when the philosophers are trying yeah. to look up into the stars and try and justify what's going on and why are these patterns recurring? Exactly. You know, every. Every day, every week, every month. Yeah, I can every imagine year. that is incredibly hard to write for, actually, because it's outside the body, it's outside the human experience, and that's basically that's what he's talking about: things coming forward and things receding. Mm. He talks about shapes doing that as well. Circles are the perfect shape for him because there's this sense of, um, I don't know, humanity surrounded and enclosed and safe. They're quite tidy shapes, aren't tidy they? Circles. Shapes, yeah, they're they quite. They're quite they make sense. They do, and the squiggle is sort of breaking that circle it's sort of and then of course you've got black and white which is prevalent throughout this I think what's really interesting is the amount of white paint on the left hand side recedes and the amount of black paint coming up increases and he talks uh, about painting in the same words as we talk about music because he, he creates the compositions yeah. he talks about crescendos he talks about you know the, these ideas of, of um, improvisation as well but he um, names his pictures exactly. depending on how how developed they are yeah. the yeah. compositions were the more complicated ones weren't they yeah and then the the, the sort of sketchier kind of ideas were the improvisations, improvisations. Weren't they? and his compositions were sort of finished pieces and actually there was a set of them that were at the Bauhaus and I believe that most of them have been lost there's a so I mean he is an interesting person in himself we haven't really given much background for Kandinsky but he he lived across that really extraordinary time of two world wars, yeah. you know? I mean, I love him, again, and the third level of why I love him. I love him as an artist, love him as an art theorist. I also love his spiritual quality, because one of the things he talks about, and he gets in a lot of trouble for doing in the in the climax to sort of World War One, is writing about apocalypse and re resurrection. So he gets, he does quite a lot of works that deal with, not necessarily Christian resurrection, but this idea of death and rebirth. Um, and and he's all he is a Christian, but he's always touching on these ideas of of cycles of life, and he believed that the time he was living through was an end of days in the build up to World War One. And in a way, you can kind of see him as a bit of a visionary because what he wrote about in his works was this birth of a new age. Out of this will come something new, something different, something potentially better. And he's also constructs this amazing theory about the the artist as the tip of the pyramid or the tip of the triangle, who's constantly trying to express what is coming before the rest of of society uh, manages to catch up. So they're always supposed to be able to visualize the un the, the thing that nobody else can visualize. And as the, in a way, they're sort of the leaders of the zeitgeist. Mm. And I really see that that when he was talking about birth of a new age, um, in sort of 1913, 1914, he was onto something. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> yeah, he, completely. And the people he hung out with were those kinds of people Ooh. as well. You know, it's, it's often, it's often, I think artists do see themselves as the zeitgeisty kind of characters. You know, that, that's, that, 
great artists tend to be those yeah. people. And, and they? they're always, in a way, breaking. So that's that expression avant-garde, isn't it? If yeah. you break the new ground, others, the rest will follow with you. But, but because art is non-verbal and because it's kind of the imagined mm. possibilities, it goes outside of the norm. You can get outside of the constrictions of the now yeah, totally. and move your mind and your imagination forward and kind of bring everyone with you. Yeah, you hope. You hope. You hope. That's you the hope. aim. That's the that aim. is the aim of what art could potentially yeah. reach. And he says, you know, it's only the really great artists that will achieve this. And he doesn't even necessarily know, think that he's done it in his own lifetime. He lives to 77. I mean, he has a good innings, it's not doesn't bad, he? not bad, is it, for someone it's of that time? not bad, is it? Who's moved around as much as he had. True. You know, that, 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 I think that must play an influence on his work as well a little bit. Do the you way think? he jumped around. Yeah, I would have thought so, because... He he had he, he kept jumping from one place to another based on the fact that he was essentially being kicked out of exactly. one place. Exactly. Everyone was like, you know, you were really interesting, but we just can't cope with you. You're just too much. So he starts out in Moscow, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And then there's a sort of Greek element somewhere in there, I think. There's always a Greek element in this. <laughs> yeah, Matt's married to a Greek, so we can joke about this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You've got the Moscow period, then he goes to Germany, Bauhaus, hugely important. Yeah. He becomes one of the chief tutors of design at the Bauhaus. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, and his work really changed during that period, didn't it? This, I mean, this is kind of where this style really starts to f form itself, because the bits before where you see him really playing with colour. Yeah. But the forms are, are kind of a little bit... They're not abstract. In fact, it's, it's, they 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 are recognisable as forms of something natural, and so 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 I think that's maybe one of the definitions that make it isn't not make it not abstract. I don't you tell. I think, you I tell think you're me. right. I think you're right. So like Blue Rider that he's famous for. Yeah. That to me is just a complete expression of him starting to tap into colour theory and in his little gang. Him and his little gang, <laughs> the Blue Riders. Yeah, the Blue Riders. <laughs> so I cool. wanted to be in a gang of Blue Riders. <laughs> he can start to We still can. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> the Blue Riders. But yeah, so he had the Blue Riders, but that was all this idea about kind of moving forward with colour. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. As soon as he got to Bauhaus, it was that that idea of form because, of course, everything that Bauhaus was trying to do, it was quite constructivist. It was trying to be 
functional, clean, practical, um, taking the human element out in a sort of way and um, suggesting that actually there is there are forms and styles that can appeal to everybody, regardless of individual intervention. But actually, in his time at the Bauhaus, he becomes really frustrated with that and he starts to reject it. This painting is one of the paintings that's part of that rejection. Because ah. I think what he really believed in was, no, there is something that is unique and valuable and individuals can express these things in completely unique ways. Totally. And you mentioned that, that relationship with Schoenberg, but music, I think, was the freedom for him, wasn't it? Well, he had that moment, didn't he, where he was at a concert, I think he was in Russia, just before he left to go to Munich, where he heard Wagner. Yes. Uh, what, what piece was it? Oh, oh I put it earlier. It was very, um, yeah. Uh, Lohengrin. That's it. Uh, and he thinks that was his uh, synesthesia epiphany moment. So your where... Reiki and piano moment. Has yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wagner. Yeah. <laughs> Wagner does it for most people. I don't think <laughs> often people get Reiki under a piano. But uh, <laughs> oh, so, 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 so at that moment in his life, he saw a lot of colours coming th through Wagner's music. Mm. Um, and I think later on in his life... He obviously develops that relationship with Schoenberg, which you know, Schoenberg, although Wagner, Wagner towards the end of his career was experimenting a lot more with that atonal palette, mm. um, but Schoenberg obviously ran with it Seriously, completely. Yeah. Uh, and the, the 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 moment that he started to sort of experience color in music really was a sort of release of the shackles a little bit mm -hmm. with his with his paintings. A completely and, 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 he, and he tapped it straight into his work at that precise moment. I mean, Kandinsky is one of those incredible artists, a bit like Picasso, where if you look at the early work, you could hardly recognise their hand. You know, the, 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 the early stuff he did, he was trying out pointillism. Mm. He loves Monet. In fact, one of the things that really impresses me about Kandinsky's career is how radically he changes his style. Mm. So you can see him toying around, trying to find familiarity with both Russian artists, which which a lot of the time he was rejecting some of the communist art that was coming out in particular. Um, he didn't want hyperrealism. He was drawn more to the impressionists. And then when he was about 30, um, he he gave up being a lawyer and he actually uh, went to see an exhibition by Monet. And he writes this gorgeous thing about when he saw Monet's haystacks. He says um, that it was a haystack in the collection. Um, I could not recognise it. This non-recognition was painful to me. So the idea that he's being told a subject matter, he's just like, well, mm. I don't see that. Mm. I consider that the painter had no right to paint indistinctly. <laughs> How dare he paint indistinctly? <laughs> I duly felt that the object of the painting was missing, and I noticed with surprise and confusion that the picture not only gripped me, but impressed itself erratically on my memory. Painting took on a fairy tale power and splendor. You can see what where you can see that happen. That is abstraction yeah, in a yeah, in yeah, a yeah. quote to me. It's like you're telling me it's a it's a haystack, but because you've done it in this impressionist style, I can't see that. But instead, what I'm seeing is an absence of me of narrative, mm. and actually, in that absence of narrative, I feel fantastic. <laughs> If you, if you cut the haystack out of that picture yeah. and said, what is this to somebody? They wouldn't say it was a haystack. No. no. And, and again, I think what was really fascinating him, and he liked fauvism as well, like the, the fauves, um, as I say, just some pointless stuff in the manner of Sura. And, and I think it was that already, it was that exploration of colour was, was really gripping him. Yeah, yeah. But he still was painting recognisable scenes, landscapes. Yeah, he liked his churches and graveyards. He liked his graveyards, yeah, yeah. churches, horses. And then he goes through this abstract 
sort of revelation, if you like. But but you think it's definitely down to the music. It's down to the Wagner, and then he ran with it. Well, I, I, it's difficult to say if it was definitely down to it, but the way he he reacts to it himself in letters to yeah, yeah. to, to Schoenberg, it 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 does come across as though this was his moment where it kind of everything clicked mm. for him a little bit. Mm. And uh, when I mean when you when you look at the picture and you read the that quote that uh, shall I read the quote out? Yeah, go on. Because you've done your when, own when, work as well. <laughs> when, when you when you look at the picture and you and you and you hear what he said to Schoenberg, mm. you can completely see it in this picture, can't you? Go so on. so he, so he said to Schoenberg, "In your works, you have realised what I long for in music: the independent progress of individual voices to their own destinies. That is exactly what I try to find in my paintings." That's awesome, and that's yeah. exactly what I was trying to say. I suppose about the him rejecting constructivism and that idea of a, of a norm for people. It's an individual voice. And he thinks music is the purest expression of the individual psyche, doesn't he? I mean, that's something he writes a lot about. And, um, and, and the idea of collecting ideas hmm. and putting them on a canvas and them, and them each having their own validity in that, in that canvas. And they're very different things that are going on. They are. And when you look at it, there are very different things going on. I mean, it's clearly a condensity because we're used to... Seeing it, but, yeah. But when you when you look at some of the forms on it, you can that 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 quote has a lot of power. Well, there's even to me, there's even a suggestion of notation throughout this because well, you've got it's, staves. It's, yeah, it's, it's almost staves that he. But does. they're almost yeah. musical symbols, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing you could imagine. Again, because I'm more visual than musical. I love music yeah, yeah. and I understand musical theory. But to me. I would know. I mean, that's almost like a glissando, isn't it? That that's that that um, squiggle, squiggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in. that to me, absolutely, could be sound. I could see sound with that. The, the, <laughs> it's the, the reverse. The, there have been some modernist composers that have experimented. They have, yeah. Writing music to present to players um, that defies all the rules of what we're used to seeing on a on a printed page of music. That that kind of follow some of these ideas that, that, that are meant to grab your imagination and take you on a little bit of a journey and that that I find this painting takes you on this really odd journey mm. between something I kind of understand on one side of it and then is is this the is this the chaotic mind bit trying to process everything that's going on on the left hand side I mean I mean I think if we if we, yeah if we read it in this sort of the western tradition of of left to right then you can see it starting off with this these quite fine dark lines, and I mentioned earlier about the contrast between white and black. Mm. White is supposed to be complete clarity, mm. whereas black is complete conclusion. So uh, you could see black as the end. So in a way, the more white on the left and heavier black on the other side means it's moving towards that blackness, that conclusion. But it's happy he's got there. Yeah, and it's what's that in the top corner. Big, yeah. You know, wasn't it's the yellows that it's he, the that, yellows. That, but also there's that big stop, that big full stop, the black full stop at the yeah. bottom that always catches my eye. Um, but there is this sense in which it's, it's building up, it's a crescendo, the black lines are getting heavier as yeah. they move across the canvas. But also the colour changes, there's the hints of the reds and the blues on the left. And then those reds and blues really get picked up with and they move up 
towards the right-hand corner because he's an absolute king of composition. He can divide a canvas along planes. Mm. And I think you can see this very much as having, you know, a, qu a quartered planing where the action is creeping up into the top right-hand corner. And that's where the chaos is happening, but it's also where the beauty is happening. You've got circles spilling out. You've got triangles and rectangles all overlapping each other. And he talks about points and lines. He talks about moving the point is the finest expression of a moment and the line oh. is the, the sort of extension of that moment. So there's a lot going on here about movement and progression. And I absolutely think it looks musical to me. But as a non-musician, I wouldn't know what the hell to do with this. <laughs> I, I love the, the use of the word crescendo for this because I, mm. I totally agree because the purple... For me, that sort of frames oh, the lovely, happy that colour. Yeah. That that it's the mysterious colour. Mysterious, a bit, you know. It's, ah, it's, yes, it, and, and, and I and I and I I think there's this. It's almost like the orchestra's warming up to the left and the bottom. Oh my gosh! And then as the, the orchestra's rising, as it goes through this sort of process of uh, grids and overlapping shapes and very contrasting colours, to this top corner of yellow, which is almost like the fanfare on the trumpets. Oh, it's like, da-da, so... we're here. It's like, <gasps> the, 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 I've had my idea and I've processed it and I've got to the end of it. Oh, that is gorgeous. I love that. I love that. And actually the diagonal, the big, thick, yeah. black diagonal. It's pointing there. Everything's, pointing everything, everything's forcing you up. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. But, and, and then knowing how you feel about the colour purple, which is different to me. I mean, I've, I've been, I'm ambiguous towards purple. Yeah, yeah. I have no feelings no, it's, towards it's, purple. It's, it's not a colour I use a lot because it's, again, it's what, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a kind of murky colour. It is. In composition. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it can be misinterpreted, which I think is why I, I don't you avoid often it. play around with it. But uh, it's, uh, whereas yellows, oranges, Much clearer. blues, you know, that the people have, you, you can, you can, you can write something that people will latch onto that kind of green. Is another color. We green really is talked. one of the ones he's really clear about, isn't it? Because green is sort of doesn't it's, cross over. It's doesn't like, cross over. Bang. That's just what it is. <laughs> yeah. Green is green. So the primary color of yellow, which is um, calm and serene and personal, against the slightly alienating celestial blue, combined to make green, which is just in a way a non-entity, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like a plateau. Yeah. Um, and he does that with a lot of his colors. So actually, red and blue making purple. He again talks about being one of these plateaus these sort of meeting colors um but it's again it's you can see the fact he's used those little checkerboards those little grids it's like he's constantly exploring the range of colors and, that, and that's what he lectured on you know he was a lecturer for years on color did he have any order in those checkerboards did, did, did he ever talk about whether the, whether or not there were some codes in codes? there you know? i don't know that's well beyond my experience okay. right. <laughs> but I, I would love the idea that that's some sort of do 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 and it's such a recurring theme yeah you know and and, and that, that's you know i think one of the things where him and schoenberg may have sort of fell out a little bit because schoenberg just couldn't stand repetition he, you know he, his his goal was to have every, everything evolving independently and being a little bit chaotic well not chaotic really but uh it's uh unrestrained, unrestrained. It, it, yeah unrestrained. those are incredibly restrained and actually i think you start to see that happening as his work progresses as he goes on this is incredibly formal in terms of you you just see shapes actually um and when he goes on into his later period the shapes are all still there he's still playing with line and yeah, form yeah. but it becomes much more chaotic and actually he starts to go back to things like russian folk art the inspiration of of mythology and um that there's there's so much more going on he starts to introduce new new figures new shapes whereas this is this really we could see him at his 
whose zenith of exploring these ideas of, of colour, texture and sound, actually, um, which is why it is so exciting to talk to you about it. We have gone on for a very long time. We've had a lovely chat. Mark, I, I when I found out you had synesthesia, I could not wait to get to talk to you about Kandinsky and you you've been amazing there's so much more I want to ask you I want to I want to step inside your mind and see how you work when you compose because I'm sure it's an absolutely fascinating can you make place. tea <laughs> <laughs> Fine, that's, 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 it. that's rule one of uh, a <laughs> work experience person is making tea <laughs> it's extraordinary I'm really excited about the projects you've got coming up oh, um, yes. it's yeah, all they're very exciting and, and the danger tree uh, you know it goes up a whole nother gear uh, up until sort of middle of next year so I'll keep you informed with that and I will keep the art detective listeners going uh, informed as well I've seen a sneak preview of it and it, as I say it was it was one of the most extraordinary moving experiences um, thank you for Pleasure. joining thank me thank you very on much for having me thank you thank you everybody for listening um, you can follow me on Twitter I'm Dr Yanina Ramirez are you on Twitter Mark? I am you are I yeah, found yeah. you recently I'm, you're I'm, quite new to it aren't you you're a baby on it but, no, I'm, so. I'm one of those quiet Twitterers a lurker yeah, so I'm go a lurker. give your Twitter feed now they'll find you uh, it's, I think it's Mark underscore School Canon. There you go, that's quite straightforward. Yeah, yeah. We, we, can, we can post that. Yeah, follow me. <laughs> follow him too. Make you feel love. Keep up with his projects. <laughs> and if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe at historyhit.com slash artdetective. It just remains for me to say thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.